0: The biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press podcast with your host, Craig Needles.
1: Episode 3 of the London Free Press Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. As you heard, my name is Craig Needles, and we are diving into the biggest and most important stories that you can find in the London Free Press and at lfpress.com. And to do that with us today, we are thrilled to be joined by reporter Megan Stacy. Hello, Megan. Hey, Craig. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Good, good. Good, good. Uh, there's there's lots to talk about, actually, that I wanted to to, to get to with you. But Let's just begin with a story that you can find on uh, the website and in the newspaper, obviously. And the headline is, are city officials pushing homeless Londoners into riverbank encampments? This is a hot button topic in the city of London. Tell us more about what these river encampments are like and what uh, you have seen and what you have heard as you've been reporting this story.
0: Well, you know, Craig, the day we went down, it was raining, right? So... These riverbank encampments is basically in a floodplain. It was like a mud pit, right? Exactly. And I mean, that's just the reality of of being living outdoors, right? It, it, on the one hand, and and being in an area along the river, but. Um, you know, it really stands out to you. Like this, this is people living in tents, right? All your worldly possessions are right there in a mud pit outside your tent. Uh, a porta potty had just been delivered a couple of days before. So, we talked to some folks who said, you know, that's a big imp- improvement. And you imagine, you know, we the number we're getting. Uh, a couple of folks weren't weren't home when we were there, but the number we're getting from Agencies that are there, you know, on the ground almost on a daily basis is almost 20 people around 20 people are, are living there right now. Uh, and so you think of 20 people using the same porta potty. That's, that's not a good situation, right? I, I no. mean, um, it's, uh, it's definitely stark. And I think it's a little bit shocking. Um, a lot of Londoners will, will recognize that kind of encampment, right. And and what that looks like, we're talking tents on the ground, shopping carts filled with people's belongings. Um, and a couple of people, uh, you can tell have been there over the longer term, right? I mean, you've got tarps up kind of, um, you know, a little tent city as, as folks used to call, um, and people are clearly, uh, they're there they're this is their home right mm-hmm. they it's not a, you know an overnight thing um people are are there they're entrenched and uh they plan to be there for a while we heard that from a couple of folks too right through the winter yeah uh, you think about you know living in a floodplain on the edge of the river through the winter months and um yeah i think i think it's a reality check for a lot of us who get to come home to you know a bed and a roof over our heads and heat so yeah
1: no I uh, I understand it's a it's, it's a difficult situation I'll say that uh, Chelsea Green Park which is on the other side of the river from where this encampment is that, that, that that's in your story here that's a park that my, my daughter really likes so we go there on a pretty regular basis and you know as we're walking through there it's sort of the, the section sort of as you go towards Wellington uh, you see the, the the camp on the other side of the river and sometimes you, there are people that are yelling at each other uh, uh, sometimes people are just yelling at themselves and uh, these are obviously people who are dealing with mental health issues people who are dealing with addictions issues and they're 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 having a tough time so this i think our reaction to society should not be oh what are these people doing here it's what can we do to assist these people and i know a lot of people are looking to the city of london wondering how did you let this happen
0: and you know what it's a complicated issue craig and i think we all get that too right Mm -hmm. and it's not the first time that we've seen an encampment along the river it's definitely not the first encampment we've seen in the city and it's not going to be the last right and talking to city officials um you know, they say we see the same uh, cycle, so to speak, right? And so it starts as a smaller group, say five to 10 people. uh, And generally things are okay as okay as they can be when you're talking about an encampment, you know, five to 10 people living outside and have nowhere else to go, right? Mm. But, uh, and then things start to grow, right? And we've seen that uh, along the river here, you know, both advocates and the folks who are, are living there say that more more people are arriving. Um, and then generally that's when you start to see maybe some more violence, maybe a little bit more conflict. Um, the drug culture could start to grow and, that's when uh, generally, you know, police bylaw and city officials are, are getting involved because of what they call health and safety issues, right? So it's at that point where they say, okay, this can't continue as is, this is this is a safety issue for the people here, maybe for the people around. And so that's one of the things um that I think is important to keep in mind. And that's why we see this pop up, right? We talked about Queens park near the Western fair uh, earlier in the pandemic, same with Bathurst street outside the center of hope. And so what city hall says is, you know, listen, it's a city owned land. Uh, There's not a safety risk right now. And so we are trying to respect where people have chosen to, you know, find their home, make their home for now, and we Mm. won't be moving them along. Because, you know, Greg, that in itself was a hot button issue, right? Should you be breaking down encampments and moving people along? And we we see that all the time. But the issue here and, and what we're trying to get to is, are you breaking down encampments in other areas of the city? And is that forcing people down you know, along the river, right? And we talked mm-hmm. to a couple of people who said, you know, they were camping out maybe on on Dundas Street, uh, maybe in Old East, you know, closer to some of the agencies that they're they're uh, they're using or they're frequenting for meals, showers, that sort of thing. Uh, and so this, uh, is not an easy answer here, right? Um, advocates are concerned, obviously, that this sort of encampment's a lot less visible. You don't get uh, sort of passersby. You don't have people kind of feet on the street, eyes on the street um, that could maybe provide some help to somebody if there was an emergency. Uh, obviously, that, that that comes with its own set of issues, right? We're talking about nearby businesses. We're talking about people who complain about these things. Less visible means you may get fewer complaints, right? If you're down along the the river. Um, of course. You're, you're not maybe going to have the same business businesses calling or folks calling to say, hey, what's going on there? But I think your original question was, how could the city let this happen, right? And mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now is just a real crisis. That's why we called it in crisis, right? And everybody knows that. And I know the folks at city hall are well aware of that too. Um, but we're talking, you know, at least a hundred, more likely a couple hundred people who are living on the street or, you know, outdoors, it's called li- you know living rough or living on shelter, whatever, whatever you want to use. Uh, And that means those people really don't have anywhere to go. Winter's coming. Um, We sometimes see that some of those folks can find a place to kind of crash for the winter, right, on somebody's couch, um, in another unit. But you add COVID on top of this, and you wonder, is that going to happen to the same degree this year? We don't
1: know. Yeah, we don't know. And there are going to be, obviously... Uh, some folks that don't want to have anyone else into their space because of COVID, as you mentioned, and we're being told, okay, keep this to just your family or just whoever it happens to be. So there's another layer of complication here, another concern for city officials to be looking at as we really uh, dive deeper into how the heck does this happen? Because you mentioned breaking up other encampments. That's significant because I want to talk with about, about the one at Western Fair. There was a lot of attention put on that one when that one was broken up. And I know that there are people that were at that one on uh, near Western Fair there that have that have moved over here. So it's, it's just a matter, sadly, and I, I don't mean this to come off callously, but it, it just sometimes feels like the city is, is, is just shuffling these people around from place to place. And uh, I, I, I know that it's not as simple as just snapping your fingers and having a better solution than that. But I wish that there was a better solution than that, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely, Greg. I I hear you completely. And you know what, I think everybody in the city would agree with that, right? We all know there's an issue here. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, and what I hope we've been able to bring to readers a little bit is, you know, chatting with the people who are now down along the river. And obviously, everybody's got their own story. Everybody's got their own scenario, uh, their own reality. But there were a couple people I talked to, and I said, you know, listen, you're pretty... um, you're pretty entrenched here. This is clearly your home. You know, you're putting plans together for the winter. Um, if a housing unit was available, I mean, w- would you go, is that something that you want? Right. And there's kind of just this disheartened sort of disillusion and this idea of the reality that, you know, you can be on a housing wait list, four five, 10, maybe even more. Right. We're, mm-hmm. we're talking decade plus if you're, you're a single person waiting for a public housing unit with a rent, you can afford rent gear to income. So, um, It's really interesting to talk to those folks and say, as you say, are you just getting moved from one spot to the next to the next? And uh, a lot of people have written me to say, hey, you know, some people just that that's where they want to be. And that's true. There's a small portion of people who, for whatever reason, that that's what they prefer. There was a fellow uh, Aaron who we talked to along uh, the river who said, you know, I came out here for some peace and quiet. Right. He was living uh, in a public housing unit, not, not in his own unit, kind of um, staying there where, wherever he could get a, a spot for the night. And he said, this has been better, right? I, I was on the breaking point And this is I came out here with a friend. This is, this is what I wanted, right? And sure, that's a scenario for some people. But as you say, we get to this reality of are you kicking the problem down the road, literally, or, you yeah. know, down the hill towards towards the river. And what does that do to us as a community, right? I think there are a lot of really good questions that have been raised. Um, it's not we're not, it's not the first time we're talking about all these things right consent your your autonomy your agency do you have the right to kind of live where you want to live um you know whether it's private property public property kind of tucked away in the woods along the river uh and another thing that people bring up a lot is can we just have a space, right? Why not open an arena? Why not get into a vacant building? Uh, Provide a really accessible space for people to go, right? We know the housing wait list is long. We know not everybody can be housed in a motel for for years and years, why not open a big space? So it's a really good question. And I know uh, a lot of agencies in the city as well as city hall are looking at that and thinking about that. I think the one thing that people maybe don't think about um, as much as we need to is what does that really look like, right? It, it, it's not ethical and, and it likely wouldn't even work to be, you know, grabbing people with, with their own individual challenges right. from their where they've chosen to make their homes and, you know, hurting everybody as if, you know, you're, you're barely human into a big, big, yeah, it's hard
1: to tell someone, Oh yeah, this is, this is where you stay. Now you stay here. You don't go exactly. back to the, pl- yeah, you can't do that. It's just, it doesn't exactly. work.
0: exactly. It's about the staffing and it's about the support, right? This is not, you know, kind of like close down an arena, put a few staffers in there and this can be, you know, a quote unquote shelter, right, or, or a, a day space for folks. So obviously, uh, I think the trend is towards looking at something like that, we obviously need something like that, where you know, you can go, you know, sleep, uh, have a shower, get something to eat, um, not not be you know, fighting for your survival every every second of the day. But there's a lot of questions there about how would you staff that and how do you really make it effective, right? How, how do you have that be an ethical and, and solution-oriented option for people rather than just something that turns into... Um, you know, a, a negative or, or another space that you are moving people. It's uh, Yeah, or,
1: or something that you have to obviously keep watch of because you don't know what's going to be going on there. There's there, there's a variety of concerns. And, and, and that's the thing that's frustrating about this is, uh, and there's a lot of things that are frustrating, but th- one of them is there is no simple solution here. As we said, it's not going to take one particular level of government or one particular organization or body. There's, there's a lot that has to happen here. We're talking about, uh, get mental health uh, crises for a lot of these folks. We're talking about addiction issues for a lot of these folks. There are a lot of different things to consider here. So when someone says, well, this is the spot I want to stay in, this is the spot I want to be in, oh, oh, okay, but there there might be ways to help that person beyond just that. And we talked about it with Randy on the second episode of the podcast uh, when we were talking about about a girl. And there are just a lot of flaws in the system. There are a lot of flaws in the system and this type of story just kind of underlines those flaws Is here's what happens when you have i don't even call them cracks in the system just literal giant holes there are a lot of people that fall through them and they they wind up in spots like this
0: craters you're absolutely right craig i mean they're not they're not cracks anymore right they're they're huge glaring holes and we all know that right and and i mean it's been interesting to see this conversation shift in london over the last i'd say two years maybe two and a half years into You know really settling into that word crisis we all call it a housing crisis I don't think there's any question about that anymore Um, and so yeah that means there's a lot of layers here right there's layers upon layers and and like you said Craig it's often mental health it's addictions you know I got uh, had a really interesting conversation about uh, another element of this story with somebody on on Friday and they said you know there's no single cause of homelessness but if I had to you know, pick a driver, if I had to, I'd say trauma. And we all know that too, right? That's what we're talking about. It's it's not, people aren't choosing um, this, right? This, no. this is a long-term issue. Um, and as you say, it's, it's got the layers. So it, it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy fix, but I do think you're seeing that public pressure uh, to say, we got to look at other options. We got to look at creative solutions here. And you you mentioned many layers of government. So true too, right? We tend to say the city, what can the city do? Where's the city here? Absolutely valid criticism, I think. But also, um, you know, we got to say, well, what are the other levels doing? What kind of funding? What kind of resources can we get? And how do we put that into something? Um, you know that's going to be a broader solution rather than slapping a bandaid on the thing, right? Or kicking the problem down the road every time. So,
1: yep. and there are all, uh, there are a lot of band aids that gets put on there. And I think that the the provincial and federal governments have to be on board here from a mental health and from an addictions perspective, just because the the, the city the way that our, our our tax system works in this country. Uh, the city does not have just the extra cash to say okay we're gonna do this they can't go into debt and things on those lines we don't need to go too deep into that but it it can't just be oh yeah why doesn't the city of london handle this that just isn't the way this is going to work that's not the way this is going to uh shake down in a way that's productive if it's just the city of london who's responsible
0: at least not in a long-term way right right? and i think it's totally valid for all of us to say you know what's going to happen this winter and you know we know that City Hall has received um, funding specifically earmarked for vulnerable people, for homeless folks. Um, in light of the coronavirus pandemic, and say, what are you going to do? Right? What's happening now? What can the rest of us do? All totally valid, and I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be asking those questions. You know, I'm getting a lot of feedback on this story that basically, something along the lines of, you know, well, what do you expect? Or what is it that you're hoping will happen here? And I think this is one of those issues where, uh, you know, Randy and I aren't writing this story, you know, with some like secret plan on the side that that we're hoping to enact in the city of London, right? What we're trying to do is, is um, bring readers down along the river, bring readers into this encampment. And I think the only way that we can make some progress is when we, talk to people one-on-one, right? And when I say, okay, Aaron, what's your story, right? Or when we hear from Sean or Ivy, you know, what happened to get them to this point? Um, And that's what I think is really valuable. I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm not a homeless prevention expert or, or, you know, it's not, uh, that's not what the goal is here, right? The goal is to say what's happening, what needs to be done, and can we walk alongside some of these folks to share their stories, right? So, um, I, and I appreciate too, that it's really hard to cover the nuance of every single piece of this a scenario in one story, right? So absolutely not. I, I appreciate all the feedback and criticism that that's coming to us as well. But um, just, I think it just reiterates as you were saying, the the layers here, right? And it is, it is a complicated issue. Um, But we do need to talk about the reality and what is happening along the river what is going to happen as that encampment grows and what is uh you know the safety uh issue the safety picture Mm -hmm. down there right Uh, especially when you're kind of pushed out of the public eye um what does that mean and and what happens next to those folks right those are members of our community and it's just, you know how it is, Craig. Sometimes sometimes the conversation does not identify those folks as Londoners, right? They're, they're our neighbours too. So um, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one for sure.
1: A few things I wanted to get to there. First, you mentioned trauma that brings people to this point. And, and, and that's big for me because I know a lot of people will listen to this conversation and read the story that you and Randy did and think, well, why would anyone want to live at the edge of a river, in 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 essentially a stone's throw from downtown London, Ontario. Why would anyone want that? And I think that people go through things in their lives that most of us can't really imagine, and most of us can't really wrap our heads around. And that's when they get to the point where they say, maybe this is the best spot for me, maybe this is where I want to be. And I, I think that putting yourself in that headspace and realizing that, okay the reason why this person wants to be in the spot they're in is something that you can't even fathom because they've had this happen to them in their life, or they've dealt with that addiction issue, or they've had this family breakup or whatever it is. So there, there, there's definitely that part of this, that most of us can't really imagine what brings someone to that point, but there are very real things that happen there. It's not just someone one day having this, you know, quote unquote, regular life and saying, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go live down by the river. I'm going to get my tent and, and just go live uh, live over by the Thames River. That's not how this goes. It, it, it takes a, a long time to get to that point. And I, I think that some of the stories of the people that are there that you just mentioned that, that you had a chance to speak to really underline that, right?
0: Absolutely. I think you're right, Greg. And you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of the advocates that are doing really great work in this city, sometimes um, they really drill down into specific issues. I know you you've talked about this many, many times is the income, right? Yep. And so we talk about a layered issue and, you know, things that have happened decades ago in your life that lead you to this place, true, and it's also true that some solutions or some of the issues might be more simple than we think, right? If you don't have enough money to pay rent, if you, you know, lose a job and and there's no safety net, no support system, no backup, uh, it's amazing how quickly um, you find yourself in a really tight spot. Right, and I think it's interesting to talk to some of those folks who uh, can drill down to that sort of issue, right? Whether it's income, but what I'm hearing a lot across the board, um, I just wanted to to mention in response from advocates is, you know, that this is something that we've allowed to happen. Yeah. Right. This is. Uh, yeah, we know there are systemic issues. Yeah, we know everybody needs a whole lot more cash to address the problem. Um, sure, but we also know that this is a reality that we allow. Because as we said at the beginning of our conversation, this is the first time we've seen an encampment along the river or anywhere else in the city. It's not going to be the last. We know that. Right. And, and this is um, this is a reality for our city right now. So to us, I think the, the important question is what next? Where do we go from here? And are we going to allow this as a reality going forward, especially through the winter
1: months? I I know you mentioned homelessness experts and Craig Cooper over at the city of London is someone I know you spoke to for, for, for this story. What are the people there saying about encampments like this one and the idea of breaking them up and things like that?
0: Yeah. You know, really interesting question, Craig. And, um, the other Craig, yes, we've had a lot of chats with, with Craig Cooper at city hall. And you know, what I'm hearing from city hall officials is, um, a desire to help people where they are at. Um, so, you know, that means if for whatever reason, you've been in a a hotel or a motel room during COVID, and that wasn't a long-term solution for you, you might've been kicked out for behavioral issues. There may have been drug use that, you know, didn't jive with the setup there. There may be another reason that you left or were, uh, Told to leave, right? And his Craig's point is that people are going to choose another option, right? And so this is what some people where they've landed, um, whether by choice or or you know less by choice. And city hall's effort or goal at this point is to serve them where they are. So Craig tells me that means daily check-ins with an outreach team, um, you know, touching base with people. Uh, that's sort of your your touch point possibly for basic necessities, right, Uh, not necessarily from City Hall, but we're seeing other agencies come in with the clothing, the blankets, um, the food, and and City Hall is a part of some of those efforts funding some of these meal programs, things like that. Um, But in terms of breaking it up, uh, you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, Craig, this is a hot button issue. And yeah, isn't it? We know, I think it was maybe two summers ago, it was the OEV Uh, all these village tent city that you know was was the big question and is city hall going to break this up or are they going to allow people to stay in this this home that they built you know the place they've they've chosen to live and so what craig tells me right now is that if it is city-owned property uh city hall and there's no health and safety issues uh city hall will you know quote-unquote allow an encampment right they're not going to be in there breaking things up they're not going to be moving people along so that raises a whole bunch of other questions about okay city owned property um you know where are most people staying right a lot of people are behind um still in the old east maybe behind the arcade mission we're seeing folks in a number of places around the city right but the difference or potentially one of the differences here is that What they call the Wellington Valley, uh, along the river, along the Thames, they're sort of at the end of Maitland Street. This is the area we visited. Um, That's city owned land, city property. So uh, Craig says, you know, we haven't heard safety issues, we haven't heard of, you know, uh, big troubles with violence in this encampment. And so the desire right now is to connect with people to offer services and not to break up the encampment and move them along. But it comes back to the cycle that I talked about, right? City officials say, we've seen this before and we expect to see it again. As that encampment grows, there are likely to be more issues and it may get to a point where, you know, if if there is violence, if there is um, serious health health and safety issues, right? Um, everybody knows what we're talking about. It might be the drug use. It mm-hmm. might be uh, illegal activity. Um, it might be fights, assault. Fights like,
1: break out, yes. Assault, like you said. Yeah, yep. absolutely All sorts of
0: Yeah, uh, that's what the city is saying at this point, right? That uh, the cycle in this encampment may reach that point as well, uh, at which point there may be a a different um, party line, so to speak, right? There there might be some different Mm -hmm. actions taken. And so talking to a couple of other folks at City Hall, you know, including the manager of that outreach team, um, she answered a couple of questions for us. And in her statement said that, You know, they're obviously the goal when you're talking to somebody um, who's living on the street is to have them access uh, emergency shelter or what's called a a resting space or a day resting space. Um, So that means, you know, we want to get you inside somewhere where you can access a bed, uh, hopefully, you know, a hot meal, some water and in the day resting space, uh, usually a shower. So we come back to what you and I talked about, Craig, which is obviously we all deserve a bed. A warm meal and a shower, um, and it leads to a lot of questions about how can you broaden the capacity? Because I think um, I think we have about forty uh, day resting spaces right now, um, and we know we have, according to City Hall numbers, there have been one hundred thirty eight individual folks who have been unsheltered in the past uh, month and a half, um, couple of couple of months. So, uh, agencies say that number is a lot higher more like two 200 plus uh, people who are facing this right now. But either way, we know that's a lot more people than can likely access a day resting space. Uh, and our emergency shelter numbers, uh, generally they have room for 300, 300 plus folks, but because of COVID and physical distancing, we're down about a hundred beds. So uh, the numbers don't add up <laughs> very well, right? And yep. we know that there are gonna be some problems there, but uh, to answer your original question, Greg, the, those, the city hall uh, city hall response at this point is that there is no compelling need to break up the encampment uh, in Wellington Valley.
1: Well, uh, I suppose we're going to have to wait and see how it goes. It. Uh it's just, it's difficult. And I know that there are some people in our community that would say, well, no, that's, that's disgusting. Who cares about those people? They're on their own. But I think that number has become smaller and smaller as time has gone on. I think more people have kind of realized, there, but for the grace of God, go I, uh, type of uh, in these situations as far as. You know, a couple of bad breaks here, a couple of bad breaks there. I'm, I'm not too dissimilar from, from someone who's at that encampment, but this happened to them and it didn't happen to me. I think a lot of us are realizing that. So I think that the attitude in the city towards people who are at an encampment like that or dealing with addiction issues, or certainly with mental health issues, is a lot different now than it was four five, six years ago. Do you agree with that in your reporting?
0: Yeah, I think so as well, Craig. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because when you write a story like this, you um, you know, you get a lot of comments and a lot of feedback and that's good. Uh, I really like talking to people who read our work, but uh, you, get, you get sort of comments all across the board. And I do, I see what you're saying. I really do. And I do think that we've seen kind of a shift. Um, and, and, you know, I think people are realizing as you say, first of all, you, you might not be so far from a bad situation yourself, mm-hmm. but perhaps more importantly, you know, regardless of where you are, we've got to have a thought for everybody else in the community, right? And of sort of like this thing doesn't work if, you know, our, our that gap in our community grows and we get into a, a have and a have not and the gap grows even larger, right? And I think when you talk about a housing crisis, um, it's not necessarily what we're talking about here today, but we know that middle is getting uh, pretty precarious for folks, right? A lot of people who are not facing maybe the same challenges as the folks in the Wellington Valley, right, who are literally just trying to make those numbers add up with the paycheck to the rent, um, that's not working so well anymore, right? And so we're going to see, I think, uh, a lot larger of a, a problem as, as we get going here, just just point blank, right? People are having trouble um, finding affordable housing. And I don't mean quote unquote affordable housing with subsidized rents. I mean a place that they can afford to live. And so I don't know if that's changed the outlook at all for people. I think it might have, but largely I think you're right. We get a, a bit more of a, it's a fair to call it a collective mindset to say, yeah, I think so. You know, we we got to look out for the people in our community who are facing these kind of challenges, and you know nobody who doesn't really want to should be living in a tent in a floodplain, right? And. um, it's been interesting to see that shift I still get a lot of uh you know emails and comments that are are less on the compassionate side but I think as you say we i do see a bit of a shift towards what are the creative solutions right what's something that's going to be effective how do mm-hmm. we move from the band-aid to a longer term even a medium term solution uh, and that's really heartening and you know I think you see that across the board we know there are a ton of people doing great work in London um but, you know, it, it also means the powers that be, right? There are a lot of people who are trying to do the right thing here and are trying to create some solutions. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, that's really all you got to hold on to, I think.
1: Is it as simple as, and, and again, maybe this is a massive oversimplification, but we talked about incomes earlier. Is it as simple as if Ontario Works and ODSP, if those numbers were higher, we would have a lot fewer of these or maybe none of these at all. Am I I oversimplifying that? Do you think?
0: Well, you know what, Craig, I, I don't think so. I'm not a homelessness expert, but I can tell you that a lot of advocates say that exact um, thing to me, right? We talk a lot to the people who run agencies, who support people who are living in the Wellington Valley. Um, Chuck Lazenby comes to mind. She leads the unity project and, uh, She says that all the time, right? I mean, how can we address this problem without addressing that issue, right? And how can you get yourself housed? How can you get yourself ID and make your doctor's appointments and, you know, go down that journey, whatever the next steps are for you, if you do not have any money? Yeah. And. You know, when you look at those rates and you look at what you can get in our community right now, um, I'm about to move. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the housing in this city is is unreal. It's unreal. And uh, that's rental prices. That's, um, you know, housing prices. We know that. And so I tend to think you're onto something there, Craig. I'm, I'm not the expert in this situation, yeah. but I can say that a lot of people who have been doing this work for decades um, are saying that as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's that that's at the very least the uh, uh, the most important first step and look, housing's important to people's lives obviously and you know stability's important to people's lives but none of that's going to happen unless there's actually some 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 dollars behind that and right now it's not enough and I think that it is uh, uh, really wasteful the way the, si- the system is set up currently because if we were doing a little bit better for those folks, we're not seeing such strain on our healthcare system, on our resources for homelessness, our resources for mental health, uh, justice system. Yeah. There's all these different things and I've, I've, uh, I've talked about this before but I feel as though it needs to be uh, talked about once again that we are doing things the expensive way and not the ethical way. Those things are happening simultaneously and I think that we need to have a really significant rethink as far as how social assistance runs in this province and the outcomes that we have currently for the system that we have set up are what you are seeing on the banks of the Thames river.
0: You know what, Craig, you just made the point. (laughs) Um, and we heard this almost a year ago, at our face it fix it forum and Dr. Sarita, who, um, you know, works daily with people, uh, who are in this situation said, you know, And actually, it was very interesting, Greg, because if I remember correctly, she was answering a question that had come from the audience that said, how do we get proper sanitation to people who are living in tents? And she said, you are asking the wrong question. Yeah. Right. She said, we can pay for this on the front end, or we can pay for it on the back end. And um the end is
1: usually more expensive is what I've yeah, noticed.
0: That's right. That's right. And it means that, you know, you're missing the opportunity. You're pushing people further into precarious situations, into dangerous situations, into unhealthy, unethical situations. We all know what that looks like, right? I mean, it, it's, it's not good. And yeah, you can pay for it now or you can pay for it later. And it's interesting now when you talk about that COVID layer on top of everything, right? Um, you know, hospital admissions it it just it makes me think right because that's often a metric that we use right if we're not going to pay for it on the front end you're going to pay for it in in things like healthcare, hospital admissions um you know addiction services all all these treatments and you look at a lot of those agencies a lot of those institutions their capacity is restricted right now because of covid um their resources are uh you know occupied in a lot of other ways um and it just creates a, another layer of, of complication of, um, you know, inaccessibility for people. And it, it's, yeah, it, it makes you wonder, why are we doing it that way?
1: Yeah, that's a, a very good question. And I think that's a, a good spot to leave it at. Megan, thank you so much for uh, uh, talking about all this with us, with the story that you did. Uh, is there anything else that, that we haven't got to that you really want to highlight or make sure we mention before we wrap up?
0: Mm, That's a good question, Craig. Well, you know, I think as we said many times during our chat today, this is a complicated issue. And I think what we're trying to do is is chase some of these threads, right? This is kind of like a web and sometimes it's really hard to tackle, right? Uh, And so the only other thing I would say is I'd encourage people to reach out to us. You know, if you've spotted something and you're thinking, why do we do it that way? What's going on there? Does anybody know this is happening? Um, You know, give us a shout, yeah. drop us a line. And I think uh, it's, it's really heartening to hear from you too that you see a shift in our community. Um, you know, we Definitely. can report on these issues, but we're also human beings, right? And going down into the Wellington Valley and hearing people's stories, yeah, that keeps you up at night, right? Uh, and it should, it should keep all of us up at night. So um, I just think I'm so lucky to have that opportunity. And uh, I hope that we can just think a little bit about, you know, the human beings that are involved. When we say 138 people by city hall's official tally have been unsheltered in the last couple of months, you know, are are living outdoors. Like that's 138 human beings, right? That's 138 neighbors. And um, Um, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but that I just feel like we got to, give some some time and real thought to what are we doing and how do we put effective solutions together
1: i uh, i i couldn't agree more let's uh, let's start seeing some uh, some action as opposed to words and we've been seeing a lot of words so let's uh, let's get to the action uh megan thank you so much for this important conversation glad you could talk to us today
0: Thank you so much, Craig. Love chatting about this stuff with
1: you. Yeah, good to talk to you as well. It's Megan Stacy, report of the London Free Press. You can go to lfpress.com right now or head to the newspaper and you can find the piece that Megan and Randy Richmond wrote. And it's called Our City Officials Pushing Homeless Londoners into Riverbank Encampments. Highly suggest that you read that. I also highly suggest that you subscribe and download this podcast. This was episode three. And of course, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Of course, we're on YouTube as well. A lot of people are are clicking on us on YouTube, which is great, and you can find us on lfpress.com. Thank you very much for listening to episode three of the podcast. We will return on Friday with another episode. Enjoy the rest of your day.